This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. This episode of The Lydia Project is brought to you by The Wandering Bookseller, great books for Christians and curious agnostics. In today's episode, we interview Mark Vrogop, who's the author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. This is the first book in our series of five books that we're reading together as part of a virtual book club. Well, Taryn and I will be reading the books and we'd love you to join us in reading one or all of them if you'd like. And throughout the year, we'll be interviewing either the author of the book or someone who has a bit of a special interest in the topic or maybe even Taryn and I will just be having a chat about what we thought about the book. Either way, we really hope that this interview as well as the future ones about future books will motivate you to read the book and stimulate you to keep thinking about what you've read if you've read the book and putting it into practice in your life. As with all the interviews that we do on the Lydia Project, it's our desire that listening to these conversations will help you to keep standing firm in Christ, will help you to grow in your love for Jesus and your knowledge of the Father's love for you and will help you to put into practice things that you're learning and things that you're hearing so that you can stand firm in him, give great honour and glory to him and be able to share the light that you have received with others as well. So in today's conversation, I chat with Mark and it was a real privilege to spend some time talking with him and asking him some questions that I had after reading the book. If you haven't read the book, I reckon it's still probably a good idea to listen to the interview because you'll get a great little summary of the main topic of the book, which is all about lament in the Bible and and how Christians can lament today and why Christians should lament. Yeah, please do listen even if you haven't read the book. But if after listening to the interview you think, oh gosh, that would be a great book for me or a friend and you'd like to buy it, a great place you can get it, of course, is The Wandering Bookseller. You can just head to their website, wanderingbookseller.com.au and for this book and the other books in our little book club series, if you type in Lydia15 at the checkout, you'll get a 15% discount. All right, on with the conversation. Thank you, firstly, so much for your time, Mark. I really appreciate yeah. it. Oh, no problem. And uh, grateful that the book was helpful to you and thankful that God's using it all the way in Australia. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can I start? Um, the first question that I ask all my guests is, how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, I was privileged to be raised in a Christian home. So the gospel, uh, God's word, the glory of Christ was just part of the fabric of our home. And it was out of Vacation Bible School that I first heard the gospel very clearly, that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for my sins, and that by putting my trust in Christ could have my sins forgiven and a new life in Jesus. And I went for a long walk in the woods after hearing that gospel message, and I walked into the woods a non-Christian, 
although raised in a Christian home, came out as a Christian. And my um, call to ministry happened at the same moment. So like my conversion and sense of calling in uh, my life happened at the exact same time. So yeah, God was kind to me, drew me to faith. And um, it's been a beautiful, bumpy, glorious journey. So how old were you when you? Eight years old. Okay, wow. So that's really quite young to receive a call to ministry at the same time. Did you tell your parents? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, they knew about that. And, you know, I, you know, you grow up, you think everyone's childhood experience is kind of the same as yours. And now having, you know, children of my own, it was kind of an unusual thing. And it, I would be sitting in a church service and I'd hear the pastor delivering a sermon and something like within my chest would burn, like, that's what I want to do. And by God's grace, that's what he's allowed me to do. And I've had different you know, things that I've considered over the years, including a stint and thought maybe medical missions was my thing. And uh, that I met chemistry class in college was like, mm, yeah, no. Um, so redirected my path towards uh, preaching and teaching ministry. Now, our podcast is called The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. And as I mentioned, we do normally interview women, but I thought maybe for you, I could ask you um, how your mum might have been influential in your faith as you were growing up. It's a great question. Um, My mom actually was really instrumental because she was a teaching leader for a women's Bible study class on Tuesday evenings with an organization called Bible Study Fellowship. She started a class, grew, it grew to about 400 women or so. And the format of the class was that every Tuesday she would give a 30 to 45 minute lecture on a particular passage of scripture, and then they would break up into small groups. Her study method was to get cassette tapes of the best American preachers that she could find, listen to those sermons in the car, and I didn't really know how scary it was until I got older. She'd be taking notes as we're driving on the highway in this little notepad in her uh, little Honda Civic. And I thought every kid in America grew up that way. Um, you know, there were commentaries in our home all the time. I remember this typewriter that she was always writing these lectures on. And, um, you know, her passion, her giftedness, uh, her commitment to the word was uh, really formative. In fact, I went, I think, in high school to actually hear her um, teach one night. And I was, I was like, wow, my mom's, she's really good. And it was kind of neat to be able to see her in her element. What led you to delve into the topic of lament? Well, you know, I say that lament is not usually something you study. Usually lament finds you. And that's what happened with me. So 2004, after having three um, successful births, twin boys, and then another son, Lord sent us a hard providence, which was the stillbirth of our daughter, Sylvia. So she was 39 and a half weeks, just a few days before delivery. And her stillbirth was shocking, jarring, life-changing. And the recovery from that was just brutal. After her death, we had multiple miscarriages, um, had a thing called a blighted ovum, which is a pregnancy that looks like it's forming, only to find out you just caught a uh, miscarriage before you knew it was happening. Uh, it was just a brutal two-year journey. And in the course of that, I began pouring out my heart to the Lord. And, you know, I'm seminary trained, and I really didn't even know what I was doing at the time. 
a uh, number of years later, began studying some of the darker Psalms uh, and uh, also the Book of Lamentations and suddenly began to realize, whoa, wow, this is actually what's been going on in my life and started looking at that through a historical lens, through a biblical lens, and wanted to explore this subject of lament. And uh, as I began to teach on it in various settings, people just kind of came out of the woodwork. It was clear that God was uh, sort of using this conversation, and people just began asking me, so have you written anything on this after a sermon? I was like, no. And they're like, is, is, is there any book out there that could explore this further? And I'm like, not really. And I finally just got tired of saying that and thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And um, yeah, and it's been remarkable to see the response. It's It's been so incredibly surprising. I didn't think anybody would want to read a book on lament. And it's just been such a blessing to see the way the Lord has used our grief and helping people to understand, I think, this really helpful, redemptive language that is really necessary because the world is really broken. Was it hard to write the book? Yes. Because it was my first book, um, I had to figure out how to do it and uh, how to move from you know, just writing sermons to writing something that people hold in their hands. It was a brutal process. I. I gave up, oh, I don't know how many times I kept saying to my wife, this is a huge mistake. And, you know, when I sent it, pushed send, my wife has a video of this. I just said, Lord, just let this help somebody. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help grieving people walk through the valleys of life. So there was a sense of urgency, a sense of seriousness, and, and also just a sense of responsibility. I wanted to be faithful to the text, faithful to people's grief, knowing that if this could help them, it really could be transformative in the way it was for me. It must just be incredibly humbling to think that God has used it to help thousands of people. I it is. Can't yeah, really it's, it's, yeah, it's 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 blown my mind. And you know, I'm a notorious um, self doubter. And, you know, I just can't tell you how many chapters I was just like, oh, this is so not going to, uh, you know, not going to go well. People aren't going to read this. They're going to, you know, so, but the Lord has uh, blessed it. And in ways I just am quite surprised with. Do you want to talk us through the four steps of lament that you set out in the book? Sure. So maybe we also should start with a definition of lament. Yes. So. I define it as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So each of those words in that sentence are really important. So it's a prayer. You know, anybody can cry and shed tears. Christians pray. And I think lament is uniquely Christian. It's a prayer in pain. So it's a unique kind of prayer when people are hurting. It's a prayer in pain that leads. So it goes somewhere. Lament isn't a cul-de-sac for sorrows. It's a conduit meant to lead us to a particular place. And it leads to trust. So... It's meant to open a door for um, greater confidence in God's ability. And, you know, a third of the Psalms are laments, and they have these four elements in them, uh, turn, complain, ask, and trust. Now, we have to be careful with those because uh, lament is uh, poetry, it's music. You, you can't treat it in a super linear formulaic manner, but these four ingredients generally characterize laments. So turn is in our sorrow, we refuse to give God the silent treatment. And so we keep praying, we keep talking to God. 
complain. This is probably the most controversial one where we lay out what's wrong. We tell God in blunt, clear, stark terms, the world is broken. This is hard. And I think that's actually one of the most refreshing things about lament. So turn, complain, ask. This is where we're able to take the promises of God's word and reclaim them and say, God, this is hard. The world is broken, but I know this is true. So we bring the promises of God back to bear into our context and then trust. So turn, complain, ask, trust, where I'm saying, Lord, at the end of the day, I know that I can trust you. And that is a... Uh, wonderful liturgy of how we can walk through our pain and sorrows. And I just found it to be super helpful. I I think now, at least once a week, this week, uh, multiple times this week, I'm praying lament prayers because the world is so incredibly broken. And um, it's just a great way to process our pain. I say in the book, how to live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. And lament is a language for that realm. Thank you. Um, you mentioned that the complaining was probably the the most delicate one to be talking about and trying to describe what it is. Oh, look, in some ways, personally, I found that so helpful because it was such a reminder that God knows it and, and he's big enough to handle it. And I really appreciated that. I think almost subconsciously sometimes I would just think, no, well, I've just got to get on with it and not want to take it to God. So thank you. I found that so helpful personally. But I guess I wanted to ask you, how do you help people understand the difference between anger and godly complaining? That's hard. I mean, it's it it can tip really quick, right? I mean, how does a parent know when their um, sorrow and righteous anger with their children's sin issues turn into sinful anger on their part, right? I mean, it's it's a very um, nuanced and difficult thing to fully determine. I think at the core, though, is the issue of motivation and um, the reasons that we're coming to complaint. So complaint basically acknowledges, God, you're good, you're sovereign, the world is broken, and it's incomplete. You could do something, but you haven't. Complaint is a theological statement of saying, I don't know how to reconcile these two. And rather than simply not talking about them, complaint says, these two things are true at the same time, and it's really hard. Sinful complaint comes from a position of, God, you're good, and you owe me. And I'm mad because we had this deal, which was, if I'm faithful, you're going to bless me. And so, sinful complaint approaches God as though he's a lackey or somebody who somehow is at my service. And biblical complaint simply says, God, I don't know all the reasons why, but I'm humbly submitting to your sovereign plan, but this is very, very difficult. So I think in the the book I talk about come humbly um, come honestly, but you have to come humbly. If you just if you're going to come full of yourself, uh, you may say some words which are not going to fulfill biblical complaint. Why do you think Christians are so unfamiliar with lament today? I, I think there's a couple reasons. One is we're just uncomfortable in general with grief and sorrow, and so we 
don't talk about it until it's like too late. And what I mean by too late, we try and explain how to navigate sorrow when we're in sorrow, when really the best time to prepare people for suffering is before they suffer or before they're walking through hardship. So it's a, it's a dark subject. I mean, who, who wants to, you know, somebody says I have a PhD in lament. You'd be like, what? In fact, when I first pitched the idea of a book on lament, the people that I was trying to convince to take it up were like lament, like they were super skeptical. And I was like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Let me explain why. Um, so I think there's just this natural um, perspective about grief and sorrow that is just innately negative. Um, I think that's um, just a part of our humanity and the broken world in which we live. The second thing is I do think, and I don't know what this is like in Australia, but in the United States, uh, within evangelicalism, there is a sense that true Christianity is triumphant Christianity. So our songs in particular feature a tone and a tenor that we always win. And that's true in terms of the overall arc of redemption, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. At the end, we read the back of the Bible and Jesus wins. So we love that. But there's also this real world in which we live. And I, I don't think that within our Western, at least in my context, American version of Christianity, that we have an appropriately balanced view of hardship, suffering, and difficulty. Um, and if anything, the global pandemic has shown us is how ill-equipped we are for when life changes in ways that make us extremely uncomfortable. And if you look throughout you know, world history, uh, even church history, you'll find groups of people who had to learn how to lament because their life was hard and it wasn't going to change. And I think that's where the optimistic spirit of our culture has sort of bled into our Christian worldview in some ways that is, that's helpful and right, but in other ways that's really unhelpful and wrong. And do you think the prosperity gospel, the kind of your best life now, is that all part of it, do you think, amongst the Christian landscape? I, I think it is. I think, though, the problem's bigger than that because People reading my book and the folks I was writing to are not folks who I'm super concerned are falling into the prosperity gospel um, framework, although that certainly is a danger and needs to be addressed. I think the problem is more foundational, and it's just that I don't think Christians have a well-developed theology of suffering, and I don't think they know what to do when the bottom falls out. And I'm not sure that it's, I'm in this so that I get wealthy, prosperity, if by prosperity gospel, we mean I'm receiving Jesus so that I can have the abundant life and I get to define the abundant life in terms of comforts, then yeah, that's a problem. And I think that's just what lament speaks into is when that isn't true about your life, what in the world do you do about that? And for me, lament is a really helpful language. Absolutely. It's good to lament when things are really hard and that's often when we find we want to lament, but do you think there's any way that Christians can prepare for the hard times by understanding about lament before they go through the hard times? Yeah. In fact, I recommend um, building up your lament muscles by lamenting the minor sorrows in life. You know, If you wait to lament until the bottom falls out, you can do it. 
but I would recommend that we make it more of a regular rhythm, more of a daily liturgy of our lives. I mean, if you think about it, one out of every three Psalms is the lament of some kind. It could be personal lament, corporate lament, confessional repent, uh, repentance lament, lament, or imprecatory lament where someone is crying out in regards to injustice. As I think about that, I, I just think, you know, about one every three days, I'm, I'm struggling with some kind of bad stuff. So I think it's important to maybe more normalize lament-oriented prayers so that we're more familiar with that language. And I'm, I'm seeing that. I think, the again, the global pandemic has helped us to see the need to lament more often. And I was doing a talk for a bunch of young mothers, and I said to them, don't wait until a tragedy like stillbirth to learn to lament. Instead, when your baby is fussy at night and you're tired and you're angry, Lament. Talk to God about it. Develop the minor muscles of lament. And when you learn to lament the smaller things, um, I think you have greater competency to, to lament the bigger issues in life. You mentioned before lamenting over difficult things in the world. And I think before you were talking about injustice you see in the world around you. Can you talk a bit about how Christians could lament over their own sin? Yeah, their own sin for sure. So a number of the uh, lament psalms, if you were to look in the back of my book, there's an appendix with a list of laments. And, you know, there's a host of them there. And, you know, one out of every three days is a bad day, but one out of every one days, I've sinned in some way. And so I think that lamenting our sin is an important exercise to do on a regular basis. I also find it to be a way that our awareness of the brokenness of the world around us and in us is heightened. And I talk about in the book how, you know, one guy even said how it was just giving him new levels of freedom from temptation because he was lamenting over how bad sin really is. So I think that there's some real helpful applications in that space that uh, we could use. And again, rather than just lamenting major sins, we could also lament our minor sins and be okay with that. In one of your sort of applications at the end about using corporate lament, um, especially in terms of race issues, I know you've written a book specifically on that topic. Is that what Weep With Me is about? I haven't read it yet. It is. Our race issues here in Australia are different to America, although obviously we're very aware of what's happening in America, and certainly they're different, but Indigenous Australians do face many challenges. We actually have a National Sorry Day that came in about 12, 13 years ago that now is continuing on, which which feels as I look at it and what its aims are, it is trying to do this kind of lament. It's recognising the injustices of the past and, and seeking to listen, but it's not Christian. How do you think Christians can serve our community and seek to identify with people who are oppressed using some kind of lament? Well, the first thing we could do is when they express their sorrow to realize that they're lamenting. So often when um, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are of different ethnicities that are on the margins, when they express sorrow for what is presently happening or what has happened historically, 
people who have not had the same experience really quick jump to this position of prove that like a defensive posture of I'm not going to acknowledge your pain until you prove that it's real. You know, H.B. Charles Jr. says, you know, the Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't call us to judge if they should be weeping. I think it's really insightful. And then that way, I think lament can really be helpful. And that's been my experience stepping into the racial reconciliation space in the United States is just coming to the realization, my goodness, my black brothers and sisters, what they're doing here, they're lamenting. And if I miss that, I miss everything really in the conversation. I think secondly, you know, uh, lament is the language of empathy. So I can identify with the pain of others. So I may not know what to do. I may not be able to do anything, but at least I could lament with them. I could say, brother, sister, I, I don't know what to say, but let's, let's talk to God together and lament before the God who can fix all of this. Lament is also the language of exile. It's the way that God's people, when they were outsiders, used to communicate to God and to others about what their exile means as a way of prophetic witness. And I think it's another way that lament can serve us. Uh, it can speak to the culture of this is wrong, this hurts, this is hard, this is painful in a way that's meant to shock the conscience. And in that way, I think lament is historically uh, helpful and informative. Now, do you have a favorite psalm of lament that you could read some of it to us? Sure. Yeah, really my favorite one, although there's a number, depending on what, uh, right now my favorite one is Psalm 57. Um, but my one, my go-to is Psalm 13 because it's six verses. It has all of the elements in it. It's easily memorizable, is that a word? Easy to be memorized and um, has a clear uh, turning in it, uh, the pivot being the word but. So here it is. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13. Thank you. It's good to hear it in the context of thinking about lament. And I think it hopefully is. a lot of our listeners will be uh, keen to go back and read some more Psalms and, yeah, learn to lament. Uh, my final question for you, Mark, is what keeps you hanging in there as a Christian? Mm, that's a great question. It is my belief that God is good while life is hard. One of the things I say in the book is hard is hard. Hard's not bad. And I have lived long enough to see the goodness of God in dark days. And that doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean that there's times that I'm not like, God, I, this is too much. You know, it's, uh, I was there this morning and, you know, just especially during this season where it just seems like every single day, there's a new challenge or crisis that comes upon us. Yet I know 
that the ark of God's redemptive plan is fixed. And there will be a day when all tears will be wiped away. As I say in the book, we'll sing lots of songs in heaven. We may even sing the Psalms, but I don't think we'll sing all of them because one out of every three will have been completed and will no longer sing songs of sorrow. And I can hardly wait. And I think there's a lot of people who can hardly wait for that day. Mark, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And just so great to hear you talk more about lament. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I hope it's uh, helpful to your listeners and that they continue to explore this really important prayer language that's given to me and others so much grace. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 